Thank you very much, ladies, for ministering in music. Let's pray together. Father, we certainly are grateful for your working in our lives. You remain faithful in working in us. The salvation we experience, the regeneration. We desire to be responsive to your work in our lives as we seek to live in obedience to you, sensitivity to Christ with our life, sensitivity to your spirit. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. When you think of being blessed and God blessing What comes to your mind and what comes to the mind of the Christian community? When you think of being blessed and God blessing, what comes to your mind and to the mind of the Christian community? Do we consider suffering for doing what is right as being blessed? Do we consider suffering for doing what is right as being blessed? Blessed. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 13. 1 Peter 3 and verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. It had only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from your body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now keep in mind, as Peter writes, just a very big overview of Peter's letter that he's writing to God's elect as presented in chapter 1, 1 and 2. He discusses the great salvation in chapter 1, 3 through 12. And then in chapter 1, 13 through chapter 5 and verse 11, he talks about responding to that great salvation. And in that response, he talks about being holy, living as strangers, loving one another deeply, 
rid yourself of, and he lists a number of items. And then he shares their position as strangers. He gives further response in chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Abstain from sinful desires. Submit to authority. Slaves in response to their masters. Wives in response to their husbands. Husbands in response to their wives. Living in harmony. Arm yourself with a Christ-like attitude. Don't be surprised at painful trials. He addresses elders. And then he gives some general exhortations. Walking with God, whether it be in the day of Peter's hearers or today, involves all of life. It's not limited to something you do here and there, but all of life. In verses 8 through 12, Peter had said of chapter 3, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate, be humble. And then in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because that's what you're called to. And as we discussed last week in verses 10 through 12, Believers can live repaying evil and insult with blessing because you want to love good life or you want to love life and see good days, he says, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it because the Lord observes the righteous. His eyes are on them. His ears attentive to the prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It is in that context that verses 13 through 22 are penned, are written. Where Peter raises a question in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And then he responds in verse 14. But even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And then he gives a series of exhortations. Do not fear. Don't be frightened. Set apart Christ as Lord. Be prepared to give an answer. And that answer should be with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience. And then he appeals to Christ as far as the why of the exhortation. And in light of the context, Peter has referred to Christ in chapter 2, 18 through 25. He appeals to Christ in chapter 3, verses 18 through the end of the chapter. Christ's suffering was due to his obedience to his Father. He trusted his Father. He did not demand an explanation or reasons. He obeyed. But his obedience involved suffering. In the context of the passage, believer's suffering is due to obedience to Christ, living in dependency upon him. Suffering means one participates in the sufferings of Christ. And in chapter 4 and verse 13, Peter says, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Christ suffered, 
Peter's hearers are suffering because of obedience to Christ. And Peter says that suffering means you're participating in Christ's sufferings. It is natural to suffer when we're aliens and strangers in a world that moves the opposite direction. And that suffering may take various forms. And Peter is writing to people who are going through some difficulty, not coming from the government, but in their daily lives, maybe family, maybe a co-worker, maybe another slave, maybe someone in the community. And he has stated in the context that they should offer blessing for evil, blessing for insult, because God is attentive to what is happening. And then he raises a question in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? Who is going to cause you evil, oppress you, cause injury, if you're eager to do that which is beneficial, that which is profitable, that which is upright, that which is virtuous? Now get the setting. Offer a blessing for evil. A blessing for an insult. God is observing what is happening. So who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? The answer seems pretty obvious. No one. But one answer it, going backwards in the context of 1 Peter. In verses 10 through 12, he says, The Lord's eyes are on you. His ears are attentive to your cry. So if you're going to be harmed for doing good, your obedience to God, God's aware of that. In verse 9, he said, you're going to inherit a blessing. If you offer a blessing when evil comes and an insult comes. In chapter 2, 20 and 21, he said you're called to suffering for good, for being obedient. That's part of your call. In chapter 2, In verse 15, he says, you can silence the talk of foolish men just by doing good. In chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, pagans will glorify God on the day he visits us. And in chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, he says, your faith is shown to be genuine as you suffer. So when Peter says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? The obvious answer is, no one. Well, they may do physical harm. They may direct evil at you. But God is at work. For his glory, for his good. Don't look at the immediate. Look long term. Peter would have had to apply this passage in his own life. According to tradition, he would have been crucified upside down. He said he didn't want to be crucified upright as his Savior was. That's what tradition would say. But he stood firm. Standing firm in the present for Peter's hearers, for us today, demands looking at the eternal Christ. The question in 1 Peter 3, 13, does not mean that 
struggles, difficulties, persecution will not come. Or if they're present, they will stop immediately or anytime soon while one is on earth. It means God is at work for his glory through the sufferings, difficulty, and persecution. This is not a free pass where he says to the people that he's writing to or to us today. You come to faith in Christ, you choose to obey, everything's going to be hunky-dory. But he does say, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? The answer is, God's at work. They may harm you physically. They may criticize. They may tear down. But God is at work. His eye is on you. His ear is attentive to your prayer. And the Lord is against those who do evil. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. And the trial he's talking about is because of their obedience to God. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overwhelmed or overjoyed rather when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. He's bringing a different perspective to suffering, different perspective to trials. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? God is at work. Now notice what he says in verse 14 of chapter 3 now. But. But even a contrast is being offered. He says, if there is a possibility as you live for God, that you're going to experience suffering. But even if you should suffer for doing what is right, your obedience to God, your obedience to God as a citizen, as a slave, as a wife, as a husband, as all believers. But even if you should suffer for what is right, You are blessed. You are blessed. The idea of blessed is to congratulate, to express enjoyment, privileged recipient of divine favor. Suffering in obedience to Christ. Peter says, if you do suffer for doing what is right, you're to be congratulated. You're to count it a privilege to be a recipient of divine favor and that you suffer for doing right as Christ suffered for doing right. Do we view our suffering for doing right as being blessed? Do we sit back and we hear about what is being done in some countries where believers are being persecuted for their faith and we say, we want to congratulate you 
for the privilege you have of suffering for Christ. Do we see it that way? Peter says, even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. I've read a number of books over the years on present day persecution that is happening in various countries of the world. And over and over again, as the stories of people are being shared, they express the joy of being able to suffer for Christ, experiencing the privilege of suffering for obedience to Christ. That's what Peter is communicating here. For Peter's hearers, they would have suffered, <clears throat> excuse me, suffered in light of the context for abstaining from sinful desires. Chapter 2 and verse 11. Apparently that would have brought some suffering, some difficulty. They would have suffered some because of their attitude and response to the government. <clears throat> they were joyfully submitting to governmental authority and apparently taking some flack for that. The slaves <clears throat> were taking some harsh treatment because of obeying their masters with a joyful attitude, but yet being hurt. Think about people who offer blessing for evil and insult. Those who receive the blessing just sometimes turn around and attack even more. Don't go along with evil in chapter 4. In verse 4, Peter says, They think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse in you. Can you envision these people having lived a life of evil? They come to faith in Christ. And their friends say, let's go out and. He says, no, I can't do that now. What happened to you? What's wrong with you? And they heap abuse. Just in obeying Christ. In chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. Don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. I want you to think today in the culture in which we live, for us today, not for use today, for us today, for us today, just accepting trials rather than demanding a fix, saying there probably isn't a fix to this trial, I'm going to accept it and I'm going to rejoice in it, rejoice in it. And being poked fun at. Are you crazy? Are you stupid? For accepting trials, whether it be physical or relational or otherwise, and not trying to change them. There may be comments at times as it relates to sexuality. If you express your view, you may take some heat. If you encourage people to obey and be submissive to government and to pay taxes with joy, you might take some abuse. It's 
Some people have quit their job because they want to take care of their parents and have chosen to live in less and take some abuse for that. You choose to limit your TV, your movies, your computer intake just due to the godless input that some of it may bring. And you share that with some, some people, and they look at you like you're from a different planet and heap some abuse. You're content. You're just content. You don't have to have the newest and the latest, and it's not that the newest and the latest is wrong, but you're content. What's wrong with you? A fellow I know, he's walked with God for many years. And in the latter part of his life, and occasionally I'll have lunch with him. Uh, you know, he doesn't live in our immediate area. And I think, well, I wonder what car he's going to bring today, if he got a new one or not. And uh, the last time I had lunch with him, he came in his, I don't know what year it was, but just as content as can be. Nothing wrong with a new car. That's not my point. But he's content where he is. What's wrong with you? Why are you content where you are in life? How you view politics at times may create some difficulty and some backlash. That may be hard. And the fact that you don't fear rejection due to be considered due to being considered odd. You're willing to spend time with a down and out. Now who you spend time with sometimes can result in people criticizing you. I saw you visit so and so. Don't you know them? They don't live a very reputable life. Or they're from the wrong side of the track economically. And you take abuse. Peter says, You're blessed. Blessing may encompass the joys and riches of life. But for Peter, the privilege of living in obedience because of Christ and suffering for it is nothing less than a blessing, a sign of God's favor and evidence of one's salvation. We tend not to think that way. Peter goes on. The end of verse 14. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Do not fear. Depends on the translation you read. NIV says, do not fear what they fear. King James Version says, do not be afraid of their terror. New American Standard Bible says, do not fear their threats. Whatever the translation is, the root idea is the same. Pagans, for Peter's hearers, unbelievers, fear something and use those fears to threaten others. Do not fear 
what they fear. See, when someone is afraid of something, if they want to get at another person, they'll use what they're afraid of to get at that person because they assume that person is afraid of what they're afraid of. So Peter says, don't fear what they fear. Don't be frightened. A couple examples of what unbelievers fear in general. Physical pain. I don't think any of you ever went to the doctor and said, Doc, I have a lot of pain. I'm enjoying it. It's just great. I'm not here to get fixed. I'm just here to tell you, you don't need to fix me. We don't do that. We don't like physical pain. And that's not abnormal. But we fear it. So if I can inflict someone pain on someone else to get to them, I will. And as you look back through history, you will find that persecution of believers many times involves physical pain. Because they assume that you will renounce your faith if there's enough physical pain. Another thing that people fear is death. So you threaten death. Get them to renounce their faith. Get them to deny Christ. Get them to give names of other believers. Loss of health would tie in with physical pain. Jail. Well, if you don't respond, if you don't renounce your faith, if you don't give the names of people who are followers of Christ, we're going to put you in jail. They use that as a threat. Peter says, don't fear what they fear. In our country, losing tax-exempt status. If you don't obey and you don't give up some of your teaching, you're going to, as a church or as a body of Christ, you're going to lose your tax-exempt status. Don't fear what they fear. Well, the government is going to censor you and not allow you to do certain things, and they're going to follow you. And if you do certain things, we'll take your license away to preach. And I'm referring to some countries in the eastern part of our world, even at this time. Loss of money and physical things. Hebrews talks about the fact that their lands were confiscated. Well, we're going to take away your money. We're going to take away physical things if you don't break. Don't fear what they fear. Loss of status, power, and position. That would have been true in Peter's day, true down through the pages of church history. And in America, there's presently a fear among believers that we're going to lose our position of influence, our position of power as it relates to the Christian community. Don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. Intimidation and shame. I've read numerous accounts of people who've been through persecution 
And as they're being persecuted, they're told, if you don't give us the information you want, if you don't deny Christ, we're going to get your husband or wife or children and we're going to harm them. Intimidation. Don't fear what they fear. Admitting wrong. Unbelievers by nature are not limited to unbelievers. Fear admitting wrong. Peter says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. The idea of being frightened is agitated. To be disquieted. To have grief and anxiety. Peter says, don't fear, but don't be agitated. Don't be frightened. See, what happens when a believer does not fear what a non-believer fears? The wind is taken out of their sails. Because they're trying to harm the believer, and the believer is not afraid. It's like the man who recently, in another country, was threatened with death. And his persecutors thought they had him in a corner. And he said, thank you for taking my life. I'm now going to be promoted to glory. And the persecutor said, then we're not going to kill you if you're not afraid of it. We'll figure out some other means. See, it takes the wind out of their sails. Question. Why are unbelievers or why are believers not to fear? Why are they not to be frightened in the context of 1 Peter? They've experienced the new birth, they have a living hope. An inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade away. They have an impartial judge who has given redemption. They have hope in God. They've been born again with imperishable seed. They're living stones being built into a spiritual household. They're chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ear is attentive to their cry. That even if you should suffer for doing what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear, do not be frightened. God gives grace when grace is needed. Not before. As you think about the apostles who went through all kinds of persecution and death for Christ, God gave grace. The early church, Peter's hearers, going through difficulty, God gave grace when grace was needed. Those who are being persecuted, even in our world today, God gives grace. When the persecution comes, not before. Are you willing to suffer for doing good? Do we see it as a blessing to suffer for doing good? Do we fear what unbelievers fear? As we live in sensitivity to God, and we don't have a tremendous amount of persecution... Unbelievers 
observe and notice how we live and how we respond. Just recently, not in terms of necessarily how I'm living, but just something I did in passing. I didn't even know they were observing, said to me, why'd you do that? It was just one of my mannerisms. Why'd you do that? I thought, that person's observing my life. And that's why Peter says in verse 15, But in your hearts, always be or set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. Why do you live the way you do? Why do you accept persecution? Why do you respond to government the way you do? Why do you respond to your mate the way you do? When you're abused because you don't go along with the crowd, why do you respond the way you do? That's the idea that is found in verse 15. So as we go to work, as we go to school, as we live in our community, people will not always understand us. There may be some criticism, and more of that may be coming in the future. We'll have to wait and see. But in the midst of it, don't fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Be ready to give an answer. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for who we are in Christ. Thankful that you are at work in us, as you were at work in the early church, as you've been at work in the church down through the ages. It's our desire, Father, to live with a mindset that if we are harmed for doing good, that we are blessed. Whether that harm be physical or an attack in some other way. May we live in such a way, Father, at home, in our jobs, in school, and shopping that reflects Christ at work in us. And if we take some abuse, be ready to explain why we live and respond the way we do. We love you. We want to be faithful. And I would pray, Father, for the church and the parts of our world today that is experiencing persecution for their faith, blatant persecution. May they recognize they're blessed, that their faith is being proved genuine, and that they're participating in the sufferings of Christ. So we would pray that you will give them an abundance of grace to remain faithful in difficulty. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.